freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hey, America, culmination, not culmination, culmination. Very exciting news here. First, I, I, I can't really, we can't really do this without talking about the fact that Michael and I have a, a little extra, little extra excited. Michael Knowles, uh, our guest today, and we're recording this on Juneteenth. <laughs> that to us is, and, and you know, Michael, I, I, I know, um, I'm sure you're going to want to talk about what your family is doing for, for Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, just, you, you've well, got the, your book coming out on Sean, on Sean King, you know, <laughs> one of the really profound leaders of, you know, the, the fight for racial justice. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's just an exciting, it's, it's an exciting time. It's a big day to be here with you. I so much prefer Juneteenth to July 10th or August 10th. I prefer Juneteenth to June 10th and June 1st. So I, I really think it's the ideal day for us to be speaking. It's the teenthiest of the <laughs> Junes. And I especially like a Juneteenth, a Juneteenth that takes place on the 20th. <laughs> <laughs> this this was a, a real issue. I thought I wouldn't mind the fake contrived liberal holiday if I actually got a day off of work for it, but I don't. We, uh, we they they have not implemented this at Daily Wire. I'm expected to do my show, and so now I am 100%. But the Daily Wire that's like an entire that's like like per se a racist organization, right? <laughs> that's what they tell me. That's what all the, the mainstream media tell me. Well, maybe if you're very good you'll get Juneteenth off next year as a mm -hmm. Kwanzaa gift. <laughs> you know, I did have some friends who objected to me. These are somewhat conservative people who said, Michael, you're too harsh on Juneteenth. You know, it's a good day. The Republicans freed the slaves, even though it's, it's actually not when the slaves were freed. There's no, there were a couple dates that you could say the slaves were freed on. Juneteenth is not one of them. But the, the, the problem with Juneteenth is that and, and this is the reason the liberals were pushing for it and the conservatives generally had never even heard of it. No one had really heard of it until five or six years ago. The problem is the whole point of Juneteenth is to make slavery more and more, uh, to put it more and more at the center of the American story, to place ever greater emphasis, say America is defined by slavery and in, uh, importantly, the legacy of slavery. And so I get that there are some uh, too clever by half conservatives who want to say, no, it's a day to celebrate Republicans or something, but that's not the practical effect of it. And, uh, and, and the, in future years, we're going to have more and more Juneteenths. As a general rule, I think all political rhetoric and polemics premised on Republicans versus Democrats in a snapshot of reconstruction, you know, the reconstruction <laughs> era, it, it moves no one. Yeah. Who was no one? Yeah, but you, the Klan, the Klan Democrats. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I know. I know. But it's 20. <laughs> it's not even 1922. It's yeah. 2022. Yeah. 
whole new ball game. But again, the electricity is going to be a little bit, a little bit more there today. Here's the here's the problem, Michael. Here's why I had to bother you and insist that you got on the that you got on the show again. And I'm going to remind everyone what, what what I remind them every single time your name comes up, which is that the first video version of this program was done with you because you you were just sitting there, you were on the air, you were in the studio, and I said, I'll be damned. I have a sport jacket also. <laughs> why should he be? Why should we be mm -hmm. doing audio? That's right. But the reason is, and you, you got a little sneak peek there. You did, you, you and look, I, I don't, let, let's make this very clear. I don't like podcasts. I don't have patience for podcasts. I'm glad people enjoy mine. I, it's just very hard to get me to listen to something, especially if it's solo, um, that, I could, I, that I know I could read 10 times faster. But sometimes by accident, YouTube will throw something up. And if it has your smiling face on it, Michael, I'm going to listen to it, especially because I know that these are little snippets because they're free. Uh, you know, God bless you. Um, <laughs> if I could... Well, thank you. I'm so glad you would listen to the free stuff. You know, Jeremy and Ben here at Daily Wire, they want to keep everything behind the paywall. I say, no, we need to, we need to give the people something a little extra. With the shekels, you're saying, the, she the shekel <laughs> thing, right? I have to, you know... Ben and I are going to have to talk. He he needs some advice, some fatherly advice from me. Um, so, but, but it, no. But in all seriousness, this this came up, and I was so I, I was so compelled by it. And this involves the shirtless case, hmm. not the shirtless case. If your name is shirtless, you can get service uh, in a Seven Eleven. Hmm. Um, very re that that folks, you're going to have to go you you can Google that one all day. You'll, you're you're you either you either get it or you don't. Um, this was the case, as you reminded your listeners, on this May fifth, two thousand and twenty-two, free sample of of your podcast, that where the United States Supreme Court ruled, and this is the only thing the Supreme Court is good at these days. It's the First Amendment. Ruled that if 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 Boston is going to have a program of flying every flag that people submit and you know for flying every cuckoo far out cause they can't say no to christian a christian flag and most people don't realize there's such a thing as a christian flag and it, now does that mean a, is it a catholic flag the flag of no, the I, I wish that it were a, a, a the Vatican flag. Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, this was not. This was a sort of generic uh, Christian flag. I, I think the flag, the entirety of the flag, was a solid color on the background and a cross. So it was as as plain and direct as a Christian flag could be. What, and how uncatholic could, could, could that could you be? I mean, that's. I know. We need smells and bells and all sorts of <laughs> frescoes. You need a Jewish Christian flag, is what. That's you know. right. Um, so they said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's, it is uh, viewpoint discrimination. Uh, it, is relig and it, it is religious discrimination. Very important point. And I'm going to pick it up where it gets interesting. I, because your time is so valuable, as much as I wanted to play the whole five minutes, I'm going to play just a couple seconds here. So let's do back to the scarce screen share and listen to you. I knew putting my, my little Nostradamus hat on taking on my crystal ball, I knew this is going to be used by the Satanists. They, and not 
not two days later, the Satanists come out and they say that they want to raise their flag at City Hall. And uh, the leader or the co-founder of the Satanic Temple says religious liberty is a bedrock principle in a democracy and religious liberty is dependent upon government viewpoint neutrality. Therefore, we want to raise the Satanic flag over City Hall. This is going to split people, even on the right. The hardcore libertarian types are probably going to say, yeah, let the Satanists raise their flag. Viewpoint neutrality, man. And the conservative people are going to say, no, no, we're not, we're not going to tolerate Satanist flags flying above City Hall. So who's right? Well, according to the principle that the Satanist articulated, any flag should fly, right? He said that we need viewpoint neutrality. The government cannot have any views on any matter whatsoever. It's the same thing that Anna Kasparian was articulating at the top of the show. I don't, I, I hate Christianity and I'm not a Christian, but, but you can have your Christianity, just don't impose it on me, she says, as she's imposing her views on us. That's the, that's the Satanist position, viewpoint neutrality. Conservatives know there's no such thing as neutrality. First of all, here, here's a little history check. Here's a good rule of thumb. What would Washington do? What would the founding fathers do? What would the men who built our country do? Okay. Okay. The Satanists. The Satanists. These are the guys who, when they found out that Mark Rondaza, my friend, the activist, libertarian, porn lawyer, Mark Rondaza, was defending actual Nazis. Yeah. Fired him because Satan. <laughs> okay. What's the point? The Satanists, they're not Satanists at all. They are, they are people who have chosen a, 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 a name to make a point. And they choose their issues, like in this case, to make a point. And, I, and you go on to say, no, no, man. Are you out of your mind? Satanists. Whether they're really Satanists or not, or whether they're just taking the position or they're, they're pro forma Satanists, we, we're, we are allowed, we ought to, we can and we must say no. And you're right. <laughs> but I, as the lawyer, who would, who in theory might want to take this position. I mean, I'm not in the mix there at all, but what's the principled argument? Where do we make this distinction? Th this issue first came to my attention when I learned that Satanists had won the right, Satanists had won the right to have their religious um, symbols on gravestones at Arlington Cemetery. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I guess if you take, if you, if, if it's Detroit, if it's, if it's viewpoint neutrality, what are you going to do? Michael, what are you, what are we going to do? What's, what's the argument to say, how do we articulate besides the fact that we, we know that these guys are on the other side of these, of all the issues that matter and that they're, they're poopy heads and, and all those things. What, what is it? Help me out. So I, I think the rule of thumb that just at the end of that clip, I was sort of alluding to the 
the WWWD rule of thumb, what would Washington do? What would Adams do? What would Hamilton do? I think this is a good way to begin thinking about the question because this whatever question, our, not any question, right? I mean, not any question, certainly okay. not any question, but okay. this question in particular, very important. What, okay. what, what does, what does free speech mean in the American context? If you asked any founding father, framer of the constitution, probably even Jefferson, who was a little further on the lib side than, than most of his contemporaries, you said, do you believe that free speech in the American context means that we need to hoist Satan flags at City Hall, they would have laughed at you, or they would have tarred and feathered you, or they would have exiled you to some far-flung island in the middle of the ocean. No one would have believed that that was protected. If you had asked John Locke in his letter concerning toleration, this is a a letter specifically on the question of free speech, from which we get a lot of our ideas about free speech in this country. Does free speech mean that we need to tolerate Satanists? He, well, he, he addresses that point almost directly in the letter. He says that toleration should not in any way be extended to atheists. And his argument is an, is an interesting one. He says that the, the atheists undermine- We're talking about free speech or free exercise? This is free speech. Okay. So this is free speech in the letter concerning toleration. Right. So in other words, the category that we're talking about here is atheists. But the conduct we're talking about here is speech. Yeah, not that's right. Not religious worship. Okay. Right. It's not that and not uh, has nothing to do with the establishment of a national church or anything. Even just on the basic question of free speech, what does the father of liberalism, John Locke, have to say in the letter concerning toleration? He says, you can't tolerate atheists. And the reason you can't tolerate atheists is because they undermine the entire system on which free speech is predicated. So that that's a little bit of an... It, there's a lot more to say on this topic, but it's a little bit of an historical overview uh, to approach this question from the perspective, not merely of unfettered reason, but of prudence and history and the fact that all speech regimes and all political rights necessarily have limits. This is something that the libs like to talk about only when it suits their purposes. They don't talk about it in other cases, but it necessarily does have limits. We've had a whole whole lots of limits on speech in this country. We've had blasphemy laws in this country for for large periods of time. And so over the course of the 20th century, you know this much better than I do, the American understanding of free speech changed dramatically. And then you see a real exaltation of this notion of viewpoint neutrality in the mid-1990s. And since then, that has become a sort of bulwark for the conservative side. It was never a conservative argument to say that free speech means saying and doing whatever you want whenever you want to do it, or that the establishment clause means that Satanists have the right to hoist their flags, but the Christians, for whatever reason, don't have the, the right to hoist their flags. Uh, it, this was never understood. Or the, or the corollary that, well, if we do give it to the Christians, then we must also give it to the, to the Satanists. Right. That's right. That that was never a part of it, and and so. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree that let's say let's go back a hundred years instead of two hundred years, or let's go back one hundred fifty years? One hundred years, Al Smith. If you if we let the Catholics have free speech, and we know that the Pope of Rome is not pro free speech or pro democracy, and he was very explicitly unpro democracy in those days. You know, almost the same argument that we would make about communism, you know, in the 50s or 60s or the 40s or 50s, right? So can we live live in that world? I say this as a mackerel snapping papist myself. 
it was a legitimate question. Now, the, the relationship of the Catholic Church to America is somewhat complicated in that you had uh, really wonderful popes, very prominent popes, in many ways were supportive of the American project. You could read the, the structure of the American government as an almost, almost perfect uh, formulation of St. Thomas Aquinas's view of the perfect regime. So there, 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 it's a, it's a closer relationship than you would imagine just thinking of a Protestant country versus, you know, the Pope of Rome who's illiberal and anti-democracy. But it's a legitimate question to ask if, if a group is not going to get on board with America, if, if a group is broadly hostile to the basic principles of America, can that group be permitted to, uh, use the rights enshrined in the United States to undermine those rights. It's, it's a point that uh, leftists, even and frankly, even some conservative political philosophers made for a long time. I'm thinking of people like Karl Popper. I'm thinking especially of Herbert Marcuse, the father of the new left, when they pointed out that to be, to be a tolerant society, you cannot tolerate intolerance. And conservatives mock this idea, but there's actually a lot of wisdom to it. There, there needs be some kind of limit uh, if if toleration and free speech is not going to undermine itself. So we had, you know, you you alluded to my dabbling in free speech business, in the free speech business. While the Slant case, which is what you were alluding to for those who came in late, was pending. I don't know if we had argued before the Supreme Court, you know, it seemed like forever. But I, I had the privilege of sitting on a panel with the the absolute, the, with a Pope of trademark law, Thomas McCarthy, uh, at, at this incredible all-star event, for because that was my 15 seconds of fame in the trademark world. And we were prepared, and, and, and during that discussion, you know, we were, we were talking about the Lanham Act, the, the trademark statute, the federal trademark statute, which was passed in 1948. And he was very taken with something that I said, I don't mind saying, and I'm very proud of, which is that wasn't necessary to define things such as uh, scandals and offensive or, um, you know, uh, disparaging in the 1940s or even to outlaw them necessarily, because it would have been unthinkable, unthinkable for a grown man, or maybe the handful of chicks who might want to be involved in that kind of thing, but for, for a professional, and all this was done by lawyers in those days, you can just go online and register your own trademark, to suggest that you, you walk into the patent and trademark office or, or mail an application for scandalous and offensive trademarks. It, 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 like it, there was, there was a, my point actually though, was, though, was that there, there was a cultural consensus in those days about what was societally conceivable, which not only does it not exist now, but it, is, it has arguably been turned entirely on its head. Yeah, that's a really important point. Because you and I want to go back to something pretty close to that. But there are a lot of people who like it like this and want more. So the question is, if you're, you're conceptually, the, the logic of your argument makes perfect sense. Why should we allow free speech, which is a form of political activity, to those who would undermine our ability to speak freely? 
that in and of itself makes perfect sense, but the it is premised on the idea that you and I share, which is that the system that we want to defend is worth defending. There, the, the elites that are running the country, and I don't mean the Daily Wire, how can you tell? Because they don't give off Juneteenth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not yet. Not yet. <laughs> we're working. We're working. Yeah. Um, and I, I, this podcast, by the way, is going to spur a movement that is going to the whirlwind, thick and whirlwind here. Okay. Um, how can can we take can can we can we is it possible to to execute such a policy in the year twenty twenty two when there's not only a lack of consensus which you might've argued very effectively 10 years ago, there is a fight over what we should be and what we, you know, I mean, there are people who are outright communists and, and they want work. They want communism and they want lots of it. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a battle over norms now that we're seeing the normalization of kids going to drag shows for goodness sakes, you know, a real battle over even the most, what is a woman? What is a man? These questions that keep cropping up, really basic things that, that we're trying to define the norms right down to the most elementary level. So the, the, the question and your observation is extremely astute. Uh, we, we are so beyond that culture of consensus that we can't, we can't agree tr truly on anything. And we're speaking different languages half the time. Uh, so how do we recover that? Why did the problem start in the first place? Did the problem start in the first place because of some new intellectual discovery? Or did the problem start in the first place because of, of a rebellion of the will? I think it was quite clearly the latter. You had various liberation movements that I don't think liberated very many people. I think it enslaved people, but that, but that was at least the rhetoric for it. And they said, listen, your moral order be damned. Your traditions be damned. Your legal order and your customs be damned. We're going to do what we want to do. If it feels good, do it. Don't yuck my yum. Don't, don't tell me not to. Uh, Keep your peanut butter out of my chocolate. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so, so that's, that's how, where we ended up. And it's even the way that, that it, many conservatives talk about the law these days. They, they talk about the law in the way that the radicals have talked about it, which is that it's just the codification of the, the interests and the desires and the appetites of some group. But I think that's a, an inaccurate and unhealthy way to think about the law. Rather than thinking about the law as merely an expression of will, I think we ought to once again think about the law as a, as a discovery of the intellect, that we can know certain things are objectively true. And we can know that because there is such a thing as the natural law. Now, will this tell you exactly how to think about parking ticket regulations? No, uh, it won't. But it, will, it actually will tell you something about your society and the way that we ought to live together. And, and we can, it, because there is this objective truth, we can debate that with one another, we can communicate that with one another, and we can tailor it to our specific customs and our specific society. Uh, I, I think that's the only way back. Uh, but at the moment, we, we have a left that denies objective truth out of whole cloth, and you've got a right that is not confident enough and does not have the clarity of vision to say, here is the objective truth, and I'm willing to state that for all the people in my community. That's 100% right. And, we, and you know, on the, on the one hand, we have this, um, I spoke a couple of weeks ago with Evan Smith, just terrific, terrific conversation. And one of the, you know, what, one of the things that is really obvious is that you can't even have the debate now 
because of the Marcusean distortion of meanings of words and concepts. Right. And, and, and so, you know, we're not even calling black, black and white, white. So, so we, we lack, and we made a fantastic point that had never occurred to me, which was that you, you often find in the rhetoric of the, of the, of the left that an absence of adjectives, not even this is a transsexual woman. This is a woman. Yeah. This is, you see that, that, that's a woman. Got a problem with that. And that's, that's my sugar. That's crazy. But, but we, and the point is along with the, with the rebellion of the will, there was also a failure of will among those right. who had the responsibility for manning. And I, 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 as a child growing up, I perceived this looking at the, looking at the, I, I refuse to consider myself a boomer. Okay. I'm born in 1963. <laughs> By the time it's I came of age, they had ruined everything already. They had right. ruined everything. We got no benefit from it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. My father didn't come back from some from some, from World War II. He was eight years old when World War II was over. He wasn't making babies. So, no, so but I don't like any of the other names for the generations either, though. Um, but watching that generation grow up as a very young child, I remember thinking, "Isn't someone going to tell them you can't riot?" Yeah. Isn't someone going to tell them that, 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 you know, you have to follow the, you know, and the answer was no. And I always said the, the greatest generation, as they were called by themselves, great at winning World War II, all the credit in the world. But what they, they really bad at, at protecting what they fought for. Right. They folded and folded and folded. And of course, now we're living in an era of, I, I mean, the, the folding has become so rapid and so widespread. All right, so now we're back. Do we have to say that in order to deny the, I mean, is, is there a stop? I mean, we all agree what has to happen culturally and intellectually. It's not going to happen in the very near future. Your mayor of Boston, through some crazy concatenation of circumstances. <laughs> the Dominion voting machines. I don't know. There is <laughs> Oh, great. I'm going to be demonetized. <laughs> oh, that's okay. No one watches this. They're, they're, you become mayor of Boston, and now this is the week for the flag of, of, of the devil, for the Satanist flag. And you're, going to, and you're, saying, you're saying, no, we're not going to do it. They're going to drag us into court, and you're going to now say... With, George Washington told, came to me in a dream <laughs> and told me, Michael, don't do it. it you, not, you know, this is, this is crazy talk. This is, this, is not, this is not what free speech in America ever stood for. You, you and I both know you lose in front of the United States Supreme Court, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, in order for this to work, I, if I were the mayor of Boston, I would relish my brief tenure very, very much, and I would be as provocative as I possibly could, and I absolutely would say no to the Satan flag, and I hope that they drag me into court. And uh, my goal in so doing would be to try to roll back, uh, it, look, it, you, would, you would need many cases in order to do this, but to try to roll back uh, some of the cases from the mid-20th century up until the present, which uh, cr created a demand for 
want radical skepticism in our public square and also for secularism. I mean, so many of these cases that we've seen upholding the right, say, of Christians to have a manger in the public square at Christmas have, have uh, been predicated on the idea that the manger is actually a sort of secular symbol. So they reject it as a Christian symbol, but they say it's so in our culture that we have to allow it as though we're giving secularism, as though we're giving atheism a pride of place uh, among, uh, which is, uh, in, in fact, a, a no thanks complete, for favors like that, right? I mean, that didn't. Of course. It was, well, it's just, it's just that's a great way to put it. I just think, no, hold on. I, I like the decision, but I hate the opinion here because not only is that not what the First Amendment meant, it's not, not only is that not what the Establishment Clause is for, it's sort of the opposite of what the, the Establishment Clause is for. So I, I would, I would, uh, on those grounds, I would advance, I would hire the best lawyers, I would hire you, I would get you on my team. And I would begin with this premise from Edmund Burke, which is not exactly a legal argument, but it's an important philosophical one from the uh, Reflections on the Revolution in France, which is that for a right to be a right, it, it has to be right. <laughs> that, that people have right only to that which is reasonable and for their benefit. Now, there, there might be legal licenses to other things, but a, a license is not a right. And, and licentiousness is not liberty. And the Founding Fathers wrote about this at great length. Uh, so I, I, would, I would have to undo many decades of what I think are uh, radical Supreme Court decisions in order to pull us back. But I'd, I'd like to get a start when I'm mayor you, of Boston. You might have to go back just a couple of years, or, or even wasn't it last year that, that, that uh, Justice Gorsuch wrote that, oh, sex. Sex means because uh, of sex, right? And <laughs> whoa, whoa, <laughs> really? You know, we, it's amazing to think that one of the premises of the establishment jurisprudence that we're living with today is this idea that, and I, and I say this as a Jew, I, that if, if, if a child goes to school and sees other people praying, yeah. and it's a Christian prayer, or even it's a non-denominational prayer, but it has that Christian-y kind of King James sound to it, you know, which is so different from, um, they're going to, f their feelings, their feelings are of, of exclusive, of being excluded from the majority, our First Amendment, or, or, or what's the, that's what the First Amendment was meant to protect from. This is one of the beginnings of the enshrinement of feels mm. as mm. a policy driver. Okay. Now we from the among among the observant Jewish crowd take the position that if only more Jewish kids had felt separated from the majority, there would be more Jewish kids of Jewish those kids. of those <laughs> kids today. Right. Um, and, and I remember even again as a relatively young person when the Supreme Court came out and said even a moment of silence that, that, that's still very goyish. <laughs> <laughs> People might be, people might pray to, you know, so, and so yeah. there's a, there's a real, a, a tremendous irrationality. And going back to the, you know, this, this, this generation that really ran things in the fifties. And on the one hand, you had McCarthy out there, you know, bursting blood vessels over the commies, missing all the commies that were actually yeah. there <laughs> right, and, right. and blaming Ike. You know, calling Ike a commie, all right? 
blow, really blown the opportunity. I mean, Michael, you know, if, if your podcast stays behind the paywall, we're not going to make it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Ben is going to, going to lose everything. Every, yeah. You know, you know um, I say it every day. <laughs> I say it every, all the time. By the way, I, I noticed the cameo in the Razor commercial. <laughs> Just a little wink at the audience, you know. <laughs> you know, we have an expression in Hebrew, Hamevin Yavin. Those who know will, will know. <laughs> That's right. You either get it or you don't. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, I, I don't see it happening. You know, th there is a very, for one thing, you know, that Gorsuch opinion was so, yeah. so facile and, it, you know, and, and see, there is this thing among elite Republicans to come, always want to come across as the reasonable and fair guys. But I mean, it was a real failure of intellectual. I don't even want to call it honesty. I don't think he was being dishonest. I think, I think that he honestly thinks that makes sense. Right. But this is a guy with lots of IQ points. Okay. He, we, we'd welcome him to this conversation. He's a smart uh, we, guy. We, even Justice Gorsuch. We went, yes, I know. <laughs> and, now, and now we have uh, pre-approved for membership on that august body. Someone who, I mean, this, this I think is a, is, a, is a huge landmark. It's not that she obviously doesn't know what a woman is. It's that she was prepared, Justice, Judge Jackson, to say in front of the Senate, in front of the, yeah. the country, I'm not going to answer that question, and I know I can get away with it. Mm -hmm. And that goes to exactly to your point of, you know, the, the what's what's the context of how we're of how we're having these arguments now? Now, would it be? You know, I'll tell you something else. Why does talk about a crazy segue? Why does Boston have to fly so many freaking flags? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. How about the United States flag, Commonwealth of Massachusetts? That's nice. You have a, a you have a flag for your city. That's good. Does it have? Everything has to, uh, there is this idea of self-expression being the ultimate, you know, the, the alpha and omega of citizenship and government. And, our, and all government's job is, is to accommodate and facilitate people expressing themselves. And this was your, was it, was it your narcissism? Yes, you also did something recently that I also yeah, yeah. never listened to on narcissism. Yep, that's right. It's yes, with the girls, the girls who were who were like fourteen or sixteen talking about, or, or no, they were they were college. I guess they were junior people. I'm pan trans. <laughs> thank you, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. I that I had never really thought of it that way, but but that really that that fits in very well with this, which was everyone has to have his flag. I mean, it, we to a large extent we wouldn't have these problems if yeah. we wouldn't if there wouldn't be this great need for people to in a childlike way pish all over the place yeah. in order to, to, you know, to express themselves. I, I think the, the first thing we have to point out here is that there is no neutrality. I mean, th this is why all the, the identities keep multiplying like this is because we say there is no standard. And so uh, people just invent new identities every single day, but there of course is no neutrality. If, if I were to get up in front, let's say I, I retire as mayor of Boston, I become a sixth grade math teacher, I get up in front of my class, and I uh, start quoting Leviticus chapter 18, 
I would probably be hauled out in handcuffs. I would certainly at the very least be fired. But if I went into that same classroom and said that love is love and we all need to pursue whatever sexual desires we've got, and uh, I, would, I would be exalted. I would be applauded. And, and by the way, if I didn't read Leviticus 18, I simply kept my opinions to myself during Pride Month, I would probably be reprimanded then as well for not extolling the virtues of the pride ideology. If I go into a classroom and I say, well, uh, human nature is such that our bodies and our souls are connected with one another and they can be male or female, I would be hauled out and and tarred and feathered by the radicals. If I went in and said a man can really be a woman, I would be applauded. And if I refused to, even refused to say that, I would be chased out as well. So there, there is no such thing as neutrality. And, and this, this radical skepticism that the, the left is proposing and that the conservatives have acquiesced to for some reason, it, it, it doesn't manifest itself anywhere in practice. It, it, it's out there in theory, but it doesn't exist in practice. And so I think the question that people always struggle with on this is, well, who decides? Who decides what the norm is going to be? Who decides what the, the boundaries of, of discourse and what the taboos are going to be? It's, it would seem to me that the answer inevitably is we do. We do, especially if we live in self-government. So then the question is, well, how do we arrive at that? And you have two options here. You either have the radical skepticism that says, I can't know anything other than my own desires and my own suffering and the pan, tran, thank you, ma'am, you know, whatever my identity is. That's one view. The other view says we can know something. Call it epistemological optimism. We actually can know some things about some things, and we can do that through the use of our reason by perceiving the objective world. The, regardless of one's views on uh, sex stuff or flags or whatever, if we do not hold to the latter point of view, namely that we can know some things, then we just can't have society. We certainly exactly. can't have self-government. Exactly. Law doesn't make any sense. And then we're just all babbling about Pam, Tram, Sam, hullabaloo. And I think that's kind of where we are. And I don't think that anything that happens in the midterms or in two years is going to change that. Um, and I interviewed David, um, David Latt, who, you know, and I, about the time that the Yale, Yale Law School kerfuffle over abuse of a, Wagoner. of a speaker, yeah. And just that morning before we got on the air, he said, well, I think, um, I apologize to my listeners who've heard me tell this over before, but I, I, to me, it's a, it's a compelling point. I think it's going to, I think the good thing about the legal profession is that you have to, at the end of the day, stand up and, again, He's a litigator as I am. So we think of that as the legal profession. It's really like neither one of us could do a house closing. All right. But (laughs) you have to get up and defend your argument in front of a judge. And, you know, one and one has to equal two. And I said, well, I I don't know. I mean, we, we just, we we just confirmed for the, for the Supreme court, someone who said one and one might not equal two, Uh, you know, I don't boys, boys, maybe boys and girls, maybe girls, but could be the other way around. He said, "No, but I, I don't. I don't think it's. I, I don't think it's that bad." And I and then I, I mentioned this to Ilya Shapiro, who I was who was in the, in the midst of his own uh, Stroman and <laughs> yeah, right. 
And he was astonished that David said that. And I don't want to beat up on David because he's, he's a really important thinker and a good friend. But in my, I mean, I would say right now, my experience has been the judges are still people who, for whom you still have to have two plus two equal five. And frankly, mm-hmm. having Judge Jackson on the court as Justice Jackson may be a fascinating opportunity to see how she is treated by the majority and even by the likes of Justice Kagan, who in her own way is a no-nonsense thinker. Right. Not that there's never any nonsense, but I do think that she was the one, I think, that actually during the oral argument, you know, in the Slants case, when the government was trying to explain how disparaging was something that was not too vague for a trademark to be in order to, you know, not, not be relevant for registration. She says, you really got no idea what it is, do you? You know I mean? You know, <laughs> she, she's the Jewish mother of the, you know, of the court. <laughs> right. Um, it, so, I mean, that might be an interesting, you know, exercise in and of itself. I mean, uh, Michael, as usual, this has been an interesting exercise in itself. And I, you know, in the, in the course of this, but we, you know, but, but, Besides the celebration of Juneteenth, mm-hmm. um, we have put you um, in the mayoralty of the, of the great city of Boston. Uh, unfortunately, became a math teacher. You became a math teacher because you had enough mm-hmm. to retire on after your very brief stint as mayor mm-hmm. of Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, you were then tarred and feathered out of the school district for not uh, towing the line on critical uh, racial theory in the schools. And now I drop you back off in Nashville. Are you happy with yeah. the movie? Are you enjoying it? I, I love it. I, I do think this is a really important thing. Actually, bringing it full circle to a point that you made earlier, people are normal here. Nashville is a blue town. It's two to one dem. But they're, at least for now, pretty normal. People just know things intuitively. They don't need to, through their unfettered reason, question every received opinion that has ever been brought to them. There is community. There is some tradition here. There is just normal stuff. And having fled Mussolini's Los Angeles and California broadly, uh, it is a place where you can raise a family. And uh, this is a real recommendation of settled norms, is that when certain norms are settled, it frees you up to do more interesting things, to have more interesting debates. If I had every second of my life back that I have wasted over the past five years debating the question, what is a man, what is a woman, can men become women or vice versa? I I think we we would have solved the Riemann hypothesis. I think we would be on Mars right now, but it's just, we're so bogged down because we have to reinvent the whole world anew every single day, but not in Nashville. You make make a gigantic point about normal because Here's a word we haven't mentioned this entire time, and I know that you know I'm, I'm pushing up against the time, but the word is Trump. One of the things I kept trying to get across to people about Donald Trump was he's not particularly conservative. He's not particularly liberal. And there's really nothing normal about Donald Trump. He has lived one of the most bizarre lives, bizarre American lives of our lifetime. But his way of looking at these hot button issues is super normal. Yeah. It's really the way most normal, regular people. Wait a minute. People are coming into the country without permission, without a, a visa. I think we should stop that. That's not racist. That's that's just normal. 
That's right. or, or his no. answer on the bathroom question. This was, it, it upset some conservatives, it upset a lot of liberals, but he was asked the question, he said, what do you think about the bathroom bills in North Carolina? And he said, the what? They said, the bathroom bills that will either keep the men out of the women's room or permit them to go in or all the bathroom fights. And he said, uh, was this really a big problem? I don't know. What did they do before? Let's just go back to that. Whatever that was happening before, let's just do that. But that's the most brilliant, accurate answer I could imagine to that question. And your colleague, Matt Walsh, has really, really used his laser-like powers to... And you need to tell him to get on, to, 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 to come on. Oh, I can bug him. Bug him, please. He could follow me too. That'd be a good start, but okay. Let's, you know, I'd rather have him on the podcast because who the hell cares who follows. Um, his last thing that he did on, you know, what was it called? The, the, the video that he did? The movie? Yeah. What is, what is a woman? He walked in and asked normal questions <laughs> about normal things and made these pointy-headed, you know, air, uh, what is it, uh, space cadets. Yeah. Absolutely, their heads spin. Mm -hmm. My favorite part of the movie, it was Matt sitting uh, with a, some kind of gender studies professor, this, you know, kind of diminutive man, and he's sitting with this shelf behind him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wasn't a football player. And, and Matt asked the guy, he says, so sex and gender, are they different? And the guy, the professor goes, well, um, you know, that's actually a really interesting question because, you know, and sex does this and gender does this and there's a time elapse. They actually cut out parts of his answer, but it goes on for minutes and minutes and minutes. Go, I mean, who knows how long this answer was? And by the end, the guy finally stops talking and Matt goes, so, uh, like, are they, are they the same or different? <laughs> you know, just no answer whatsoever. And indeed, we end this we end this with no answers whatsoever, but with some insight into, in, into the problem. And hopefully uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. Michael, thanks a gazillion for coming on. Ron, thank you for having me. Always great to be with you. See ya. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at Coleman nation.com that's coleman-nation.com or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com join us next time on the coleman nation podcast and have a great day